0: I received a question via email this week from Rachel, who says she has just started her training business and wonders how to market herself. And she says, maybe I should have done this first, um... I recently have left a corporate job and have given myself six to nine months to see if this is right for me. I think by which he means training. I'm not sure if I know who my ideal customer is. Can you help me? Well, Rachel, thanks for your email, first of all. This is a great question. And today, to help you to understand your ideal customer, or rather, how and why to identify your ideal customer, we're going to look at what an ideal customer is, what is stopping you from choosing an ideal customer and some really practical steps to help you choose your ideal customer for your training business. This is episode 73 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning in today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett-Hayes, and this is the show for you, for training business owners all around the world. Maybe you're a trainer or you describe yourself as a freelance training consultant or a trainer and coach, but if you make money from helping people to be the very best they can be through your training products and services, this is the show for you, and the premise is very simple. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Now, every single Thursday, we have an episode on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, and I believe a couple of other platforms out there. So whichever platform you're listening to us today on, I'd like to extend my welcome to you. It could be your first time here, in which case I've just explained to you why you're here. And if it's not your first time here, welcome back. It's wonderful to know you're listening to us again this week. So you heard before the music that we are answering a question today from a listener who asks us about the fact that she is trying to work out who her ideal customer is. It sounds like she's just left the corporate world, and as is the case for many listeners, Is thinking of going into the training business, but to do that, she needs to understand whom to approach. In other words, who her ideal customer is. So let's start with the definition of what an ideal customer is. And here's my definition I think your ideal customer is the business, entity, individual for whom you do your best work and can earn the highest possible reward for its creation and delivery. I'll give you that one more time. Your ideal customer is the business entity individual for whom you can say you do your best work and can earn the highest possible reward for its creation and delivery. What do you think of that? Well, you might have a different definition and that's okay, but that one works for me. Now, Rachel has come to a point which many trainers arrive at early on in their training business. And this is what I call the generalist specialist conundrum or the specialist generalist conundrum. And it's this, do I deliver whatever people ask me to do whenever they ask me to do it, which is reactive, or do I proactively focus on a specific niche, a sector within a market to solve a specific problem with a specific training product or service from me. One more time. Do I deliver whatever people ask me to do whenever they ask me to do it, which is kind of reactive, or do I proactively focus on a specific niche, a sector within a market, to solve a specific problem with a specific training, product, or service from me? Now, why? Well, here's the thing. Because if you want to identify the ideal customer and get to work with them, you kind of have to be the ideal training partner for them. Does that make sense? It's a two-way street. So if you want to be or to have the ideal training customer, the ideal customer for your training business, you also need to figure out whom you can be the ideal training partner to. Trouble often arises when an individual trainer starting off offers marketing training and technical training and resilience training and customer care training and Microsoft training and this training and that and that and that. And, you know, she, as a starter, cannot possibly convince paying customers that she is an expert in all of those things. I can't do it. No one can. I know I've tried. And sometimes it's tempting to open up your cart and say, look, I can do all these kinds of training. Um which you could arguably do a half good job at. But if you look at this from the customer's perspective, as I said, you want to identify the ideal customer, but from their perspective, they want to identify the ideal training partner. Why? Well, because what they're looking for is demonstrable, credible ability to solve their business problems because hiring trainers is a risk, particularly when you don't know who they are or what they can do. And the more you are a specialist, the more of an expert you are. The less uh, of a risk you are, the more you're likely to be taken seriously. So when you say you can do everything, it's like saying, well, your car is a problem. Do you take it to a garage or to an electrician who repairs boats, cars, paints houses on their day off And might be able to fix yours. So trainers who don't pick a business problem to solve from the perspective of a business often find that businesses are slow to pick their solution to that problem. So to provide training to your ideal customer, you have to be the ideal training partner. So in a way, today, we need to figure out those two things. Who are you best serving? And from their perspective, what is are the signals, what are the signals that convince them that you are the person for them to be their ideal training partner. So here's an exercise that I've done. I'm going to give you a couple of exercises today. And to make it very practical, there are a couple of questions here, it's like a coaching episode, if you will. So first of all, you actually have to answer the who question, then the what question, the where question, the why question, the when question, and the how question. One more time, you have to answer the who question, the what question, the where question, the why question, the when question, and the how question. Who needs questions? Well, we do because they help us to achieve clarity. So who? So putting myself first to help you make this um, less complex than it might appear, I'm going to use myself and my business. So for my business, which in this case is insidesalescoach.com, I work with training, uh, rather, with uh, a range of companies, helping them with coaching and training their inside sales team. So I call it insidesalescoach.com. So my who are mid sized companies with an in house inside sales team who are primarily servicing the tech sector. And as a secondary kind of sector, those might be businesses in professional services. So one more time, my who are mid sized companies with an in house. Inside sales team and sales teams are typically field sales outside or inside sales teams, people who sell over the telephone or by chat or email, etc. So, those are inside sales teams in mid sized companies, primarily in the tech space, but as a secondary space, I will also help businesses who are professional services, insurance, legal, etc., because I have experience in those areas. And that's a key thing today to keep in mind. Have you experience which is credible? and makes you authentic when offering your training services. But who, who also means that I know who owns this problem in those businesses. Do you understand? Who doesn't just mean which companies, which industries. It also means what kind of person or role is likely to own this problem, and what their role is in the decision-making process. Now, logically, if you've experienced in a particular training area or just let's say an industry of any kind, maybe you've come from some corporate job as Rachel has. If you are close to that industry and understand the kinds of people in that industry, you're more likely to be able to answer that question, who owns this problem and what is their role in the decision-making process? Okay, that's the first who, the first Question you have to answer. The second question is the what. And for me, it is selling software or services over internet or phone. So, companies that I would target, my ideal customer would be businesses that are, as I said, mid sized companies with in house, inside sales teams, and they sell software or tech services over the internet or phone. The next is the where question. Where do they operate? For me, my business, it's primarily the US and UK markets. It might be different for you, depending on your geography, where you are in the world right now. The why question then for me is why would they want to hire me, my team, my business? And I've come up with three reasons. One, their, their teams are not hitting sales targets. Secondly, they have a high churn or high turnover in that team. And thirdly, sometimes the sales training investment they have made, and frequently people go through training, and it doesn't work. So they're the kinds of three hot-button topics for me. So because of my experience, because I've been an inside sales manager, I know the cost of the problem and the value of fixing it. And that's key. I know the cost of the problem and the value of fixing it. The when question then is when would they need me? Is it times of year, a particular cadence? And I've discovered that the regular intervention would be when I sell three month and six month programs all year round. Now, depending on your target or ideal customer, that could vary, but you'll have to come up with a when, which is the when, the cadence with which they would need you. It could be at particular times of year or particular buying windows when they look for the services of a company like yours. And finally today, at least finally in this section, uh, it's the how question. And what I mean by that is how would I know that they are right for me, apart from the obvious questions about who and and what and where, I would have to find out and establish that they are open to and have a budget for sales training and sales coaching. They're the kinds of questions, the qualification questions I would ask. So that is my example of the who, what, where, why, when, how question. Okay, so you might want to take a piece of paper. That's fine. Write your answers down to those things the same way I've given those to you. It's okay to rewind the episode and go through that one more time. Maybe answer your own questions. What questions have you got besides who, what, where, why, when, and how? Okay, now, next thing is, so that's easy what is stopping you from choosing your ideal customer? Well, I've come up with three things which could be possible factors preventing you from choosing your ideal customer. One, you might be wrong, which means you fear making a decision because it's comfortable, isn't it? Being all things to all people. If you have to make a decision and you're wrong, maybe you might, uh, you know, say no to the wrong customer. Saying yes and and making a decision and choosing an an ideal customer proactively explicitly almost suggests that you have to commit And you're right. You do have to commit. You have to choose an ideal customer. And for reasons we'll come to, we'll come to those. I'm going to give you 10 good reasons why you should choose an ideal customer. So first of all, the reasons stopping you from choosing your ideal customer. Number one, you might be wrong because you fear making a decision and having to make a commitment. Reason number two, you might not know whom to pick and you don't know if you're ready. Maybe you feel it's too early, you haven't enough experience, you feel you haven't the right qualifications, or you're not worthy of charging the high prices which experts pay. And that's a mindset issue. We will have an episode on training business owner mindset at some point in 2020. It's currently February 2020, as I'm recording this now. So that's an episode we'll come to at some point very soon. But coming back to this for a moment, that's the second reason that might be stopping you from choosing your ideal customer. Reason number three is you fear you might lose money. You fear incurring the opportunity cost of turning away paid work, which is on your doorstep. I recognize that. I fully empathize with that. And there are times when I've said, you know what, I'd love to say no, but I need the money. And I've got to do it because I've got to keep money coming in. We're business owners, you know? So in a way, that has a consequence in the long term. So they're the three reasons I think that people often are reluctant to choose an ideal customer. They fear they may not be right. They fear making a decision. They fear they might be wrong. They might not know because they think that it's too early. They haven't enough experience, etc. And the third reason is they fear the opportunity cost of making the wrong decision and turning away paid work. I hear you. That's absolutely understandable to feel that way. But here's the thing. I'm going to give you now 10 good reasons to combat those fears and why you should choose an ideal customer. And after this today, we'll look at the how to do this. But for now, just bear with me, okay? Wherever you are in the trainer plane, just give me a couple of minutes to explain why it's a good reason to choose an ideal customer. Here they are, 10 reasons. One, you can build your message around them. Two, you can develop specialist IP, intellectual property. Three, you can focus investment on particular marketing channels. Four, you can qualify prospects more easily. Five, you can be more confident quickly. Number six, you are harder to compete with. Number seven, you have less learning or material subject matter to master. Number eight, you can generate like from like recommendations more quickly. Number nine, you can charge more and number 10, you can work less. Let's go through those again, individually one by focusing on an ideal customer. The first reason is you can build your website, your marketing content, uh, your proposals, your sales pitch, in other words, your value proposition around one key individual buyer, one ideal customer. What that means is that you've less copy and less confusion. You're not creating multiple proposals for multiple kinds of of buyers in different kinds of markets. So you're creating your website, your branding, your messaging around one key individual buyer, and that is going to be less confusing and more clear for them. Second reason, you can develop specialist IP. In other words, your workshop material, your online material, your, your workbooks, your, you know, exercises, whatever you print off, that kind of intellectual property, it's less work to develop something like that in one particular area, which you can resell and refine, than trying to maintain multiple kinds of intellectual property in different areas, because you've always got to keep up to date with those particular things. And it's a lot more work. So focusing your IP, your intellectual property, your recordings, your videos, your online material, your offline material, that is less work when you've got one particular buyer or ideal customer in mind for whom it's intended. Okay. Reason number three, you can focus investment on marketing channels where your prospects actually hang hang out. So in my world, I save time by saying, if my ideal buyer is X, where are they hanging out? Which conferences do they go to? That's where I go. And I'll go to more of those conferences than conferences in other niches or areas, which I'm not fully, you know, uh, up to speed with. And secondly, when it comes to online stuff, conferences being offline, online stuff like groups, LinkedIn groups, and um, chat rooms, etc. I know that I go where my ideal buyer hangs out because that's where I should be. I'm not in multiple groups. I'm I'm in the key ones, which are those where my prospects actually hang out. Reason number four, you can qualify prospects in or out quickly. When you're clear on your ideal buyer, it's very, or it's easier, I should say, not very, but easier to say, those people are not in that profile. Therefore, I'm not going to waste my time and their time by trying to market to them, trying to sell to them. Okay. If they don't meet the profile, Um, I'm not going to waste my time or their time. So it speeds up the qualification process. I'd rather say no more quickly than say yes to the wrong people. Reason number five, if I've got this list correct so far. Yeah, reason number five, you can be more confident as your expertise and reputation deepens. Because if you are focusing on depth of knowledge as opposed to breadth of knowledge, your expertise and reputation will flourish in a particular sector rather than trying to develop a reputation across multiple uh, verticals or multiple industries or spheres of knowledge. Uh, Reason number seven, is that right? Yes, seven, I think. Just bear with me if I get my list right. The next reason is you are harder to compete with. If you are not seen as a commodity, it's because you are seen as exceptional. When you are a commodity and you're trying to provide the same training programs that other people are providing, guess what? It's it's, yeah, it's um. It's easy to replace you, shall we say. So if you're a specialist, people will come to you first or early or both, and they're less likely to try and look around when you are the specialist and others are not. The next reason, you have less to master because you're focusing your time, your investment on incremental subject matter expert learning for you, rather than trying to master multiple topics. So think of continual professional development, CPD, for you to be up to date in your area, in which case in mine it's sales, I'm reading sales books. Right now I'm reading two sales books in parallel. I'm not reading books on customer care training. I have a few, but I'm not wasting my time in in acquiring skills and knowledge or qualifications, which I cannot monetize or generate a return on investment upon. Make sense? So I've less to master by focusing on what I want to master. Uh, The next reason is you can generate like-from-like recommendations and referrals more easily. Think of it this way. If I'm doing business with a particular company, let's say working with um, tech companies that sell uh, CRMs, I'm just making this up, uh, customer relationship management software, it's more likely that they know other people in that space. And therefore garnering recommendations from them and generating referrals from them to other people just like them is more easy than if I'm trying to get recommendations from people um, to other companies which with which they've nothing in common. So when there's a smaller circle, a smaller network, it's more easy to get introductions and recommendations and referrals. Reason number nine, you can charge more. Specialists are experts and expertise commands the best prices particularly if it's niche expert tees. And number 10 today, reason number 10 why you should choose your ideal customer is because by charging more, by being able to spend less time doing things which are unnecessary and more time doing things which are relevant and uh, things which you can generate return on investment on, you're going to have less time or rather have to spend less time in the things which are things that don't pay off and you will have more quality of life. So if I know that, If I want to be successful this month, I have to generate X number of leads in this kind of company. I can therefore produce the kind of content that will do that and go to the kinds of conferences where those people hang out. I'm not spending time that is valuable to me for family or personal reasons on things which will not pay off. So the payoff ultimately to you is you can work less and you'll have more quality of life. So there are 10 really good reasons as to why you should choose your ideal customer. Now, coming to the last section today, this is the kind of how to choose your ideal customer. And to be honest, we could actually do a whole second episode on this. So let's try and make this uh, as practical as possible within today's time frame. And there are two parts to this in the how to choose your ideal customer. This is a marketing exercise, and it's something we should always be doing anyway. So here it is. The first part is the thinking part, and the second part is the doing part. So the first part is the thinking part. I'd like you to, with a paper, piece of paper and a pen, this might take a few goes, or it might take a few days. First of all, I'd like you to ask yourself, who do you think is your ideal customer? And here's how you do it. Identify the problems that you can currently solve based upon your current, um, you know, qualifications your your experience, your work history. What are the problems you can confidently solve? Thinking of Rachel, she's come from corporate. I don't know which area of corporate she came from, but let's just say it's, it's legal. More than likely, she's got some ideas as to how to solve training issues within the legal sphere. So her ideal customer's might be training companies, arguably. So what are the problems that she is familiar with? If you're listening to this, Rachel, what are the problems you're familiar with given the industry you've come from? What are those problems that you feel you can solve with your training products and services? The next thing is, what is the cost of those problems? Thinking of the industry from which you've come, can you currently say, what is the cost of a company not solving problem X? What is the cost of that company not being able to solve problem X? If they can't make it go away, what is the cost of that recurring problem? The next thing in this series of questions in terms of thinking your ideal customer through is what is the value then of your training? If you could make, if you could fix that that problem based upon its cost assessment, what would be the value to your customer of solving that problem, of making that problem going away? Uh, of making that problem go away through your consultancy or your coaching or your training. And then put a price on that solution. So, one, identify the problems you can solve. Two, figure out the cost of those problems to businesses as they are right now, those businesses from which you have experience or in which you've experienced. Ask yourself what is the value? of your training consultancy or coaching solutions and services, solving those problems, because this will help you to put a price on the value of solving that problem. Now, if in doubt, you can consult prospective clients. There are a range of ways to do this. I like telephone interviews. I approach people on LinkedIn. I say, look, I'm not um, selling you anything. I have nothing to sell. Here's what I'm doing. I'm trying to figure out, have I understood uh, these issues right now? So I'm open and honest with them and say, you know, and I did, I did this over the summer actually in 2019, got some people on LinkedIn to, to answer questions for me, to help me to shape, um, an offer I'm developing. And as I did that, I began to notice the language that they were using, which helped me to understand the value of the training that I'm developing and how that would actually solve those problems. What is the cost of the problems to those people And what would the value be of solving those problems? So that's why I consult people when I'm not sure. But if you have come from that industry, you should have some idea of the answers to those questions. If in doubt, ask people, enlist people in some kind of interview or focus group. It can be done. Use a questionnaire on SurveyMonkey or something, but find some way of finding out the answers to the questions you don't have. The next part of this exercise in the thinking part is to say where do you currently have unfair advantage? Unfair advantage, what does that mean? Have you industry knowledge or subject matter expertise? Have you recent work experience which you can delve into? Have you a case study or two where you've achieved significant results? Can you um, use metrics to describe them? Can can you qualify them, not just, just um, describe them? Can you quantify the results you've achieved for people, for clients, past clients. And thirdly, uh, under the umbrella of where have you unfair advantage, have you immediate level one or level two connections on places like LinkedIn? Have you direct referrals whom you could contact or to whom people could direct you? So have you again, have you unfair advantage? Have you industry knowledge? Have you subject matter expertise? Have you recent work experience? Have you case studies which you could delve into? and from which you could um, generate some kind of proof that you're an expert in a particular area. And then have you immediate level one or level two connections on places like LinkedIn or Zing, another networking site um, in Europe, which you could use to generate some early and quick responses to your offer. Okay, so that's the thinking part today um, in terms of the generating an ideal customer profile. It's an avatar marketing exercise, thinking part, identify problems you can solve, the cost of those problems, the value of your training, consultancy, coaching, solving those problems and then putting a price on the value of solving the problem and then asking yourself where you have unfair advantage, industry knowledge, subject matter expertise, recent work experience, case studies with metrics attached and then which connections can you uh, leverage on places like LinkedIn to um, to generate some uh, responses, and ideal customers. Okay, that's the thinking part done. Now, the, f- the the doing part today is a bit of fun. This involves taking out a pen, and or a flip chart piece of paper, and drawing a box, okay, drawing a box, and then making it kind of like a window in that box. So you've got a top left quadrant, a top right quadrant, bottom left quadrant, and a bottom right quadrant. Think of it like Uh, four panes of glass. So one big box and then four mini boxes inside that. Draw a line down the middle, a grind across the middle, and there are your four boxes. So bear with me as I describe this to you. So on your piece of paper or your flip chart right now, you should have four quadrants or four boxes. A large box with four boxes in them. Top left box is called your think box. Okay? Think. Top left think. The box on the right, top right, is your take box. Box bottom left, lower left, bottom left box is your teach box and bottom right box is your transfer box. So all T's. Top left is your think box, top right is your take box, bottom left is your teach box and bottom right is your transfer box. So what does that mean? Well, top left is the think box. That's where you list the people whom you could describe as the following. You are right for them, but they're not right for you. You are right for them, but they're not right for you. These are clients or people who come to you. They have money, but you have no, well, arguably, you don't have a lot of experience. Now, they're very happy with a generalist. So they're the kinds of companies that come to you without much or many specific requirements. Uh, They're available, they've got money, but you can't say they're your ideal customer. So you think about whether you want to take that kind of work, yes or no, it's entirely up to you. It's a case-by-case basis. And that's the strategy in that top left box. These are companies where you are right for them, but they're not right for you. So write down in that box the kinds of companies where you are right for them, but they're not necessarily right for you. You might think about that, And decide, I think I'll take this work occasionally or I'll not take that work at all. The next box on the right hand side is your take box. These are boxes, or the box rather, where you list the customers where you are right for them and they are right for you. So these are clients who want your expertise, believe you are the expert and have the money and willingness to pay for your expertise at the price you're demanding. That might be a very small number of customers or kinds of businesses or entities or individuals. And if that is the case, that's absolutely right. So I'm thinking of you, Rachel, right now. If you're filling in this box, those are typically a very small list of people. And that's what we want. People for whom we are the ideal training partner. And they want your expertise and have the money and willingness to pay for your expertise at your price it's where you'll do your best work now bottom left hand box this is your teach box these are companies individuals or entities where you are not right for them or so they think but they are right for you what does that mean well these are clients whom you want to do business with but they don't know of you or they believe you are not the ideal training partner for them yet Now, what that means is therefore you have to teach, that's the third T, you have to teach them through maybe content over time or educating them through tasters or some kind of seminars or talks, convincing them that actually you are eligible to be considered as a training partner because you have experience. So often they don't know that yet, you want to work with them, you are not right for them from their perspective. uh, they are right for you from your perspective. So you've got to change that perspective and teach them why. Give them proof, give them case studies, scenarios, uh, metrics, give them viable proof, authentic proof that you are the training partner for them. But often this takes time and that's why I call it the teach box. You actually have to educate them over time, convincing them through content or seminars or tasters or other kinds of uh, lead magnets that that is a consideration they have to make. You are eligible to be considered, but it's sometimes an uphill struggle. So my focus for me, at least, would be my take box because these are people with whom I have a natural uh, connection because I've got naturally um, occurring referrals in that box and I've got expertise in that box and I can prove that as well. Box number four, the final box, you know what's coming. These are the people or companies or individuals who of whom you could say you are not right for them and they are not right for you either. You are not right for them and they're not for you either. And these are companies where you could say you've absolutely no industry experience, you've no knowledge of that area, you are not a fit. So the goal is not to take this work on under any circumstances, but we're not chucking them out the window or turning them away. We're using this to generate reciprocity among your peers and finding or helping them to find a trainer who would be right for them. So by transferring to another trainer, you're generating kind of reciprocity or goodwill because the company appreciates the fact that you're not right for them. You're being upfront about this, but you're also helping them to find someone who is right for them. And of course, laterally, the trainer or the company, the coach whom you bring in or introduce them to will feel some kind of reciprocity towards you for having helped them out and finding them work which actually suits their particular expertise does that make sense so top left one more time your think box these are people of whom you could say uh, you are right for them but they're not right for you so it's not where you want to focus You're happy occasionally to service them, to take their money um, and provide value in return, but it's not long-term your main focus. Number two box, top right, is your main focus. That's your take box. And that's the box where you are right for them and they are right for you. These are clients who want your expertise and have money and willingness to pay for your expertise. Bottom left-hand box, you are not right for them, but they are right for you. And this is your teach strategy. It'll take time to change that perspective. You've got to educate your clients, market to them with content, and show them slowly why you are. In some cases, you actually have to develop your expertise to be able to generate and earn the right to train companies in this space. And lastly, box number four, bottom right, this is your transfer box. You are not right for them, and they are not right for you. So therefore, you are not dumping them overboard or rejecting them. You're helping them to find a trainer, a company in the space that will be a nice fit for them. And this generates reciprocity. Everyone's happy. Now, how do you prove if you're right with your assumptions today? So if you've gone through the exercise, you've come up with some answers. How do you prove if you're right? Well, the first thing is to talk. The second thing is to test. And the third thing is to train. So if you've got some exercise conclusions at this stage, at the end of this episode today which is all about how and why to identify your ideal customer, if you've gone through these exercises, you more than likely have got some answers in your head. How do you prove if they're right? Firstly, talk. Secondly, test. And thirdly, train. Talk. That means you interview a few ideal or trusted contacts on a research basis, as I advised earlier, to find out if your assumptions are correct before you actually go changing your content, your website, your value proposition and focusing on one specific prospect or market. The second T is test. What this means is that you use some kind of low cost, easy to generate workshops or talks or seminars or webinars, something online, run some ads to a landing page, uh, generate some kind of lead magnets and to see then what the interest is in the marketplace. So test your idea I'm actually able to attract the right kinds of people I think are my ideal customers. So create some content and test that assumption. And the third T then to prove if you're right in choosing your ideal customer is to create an initial program, a workshop, something small, something short, and to get a low price on it and get some feedback. And if that works out okay, develop that further if successful. Okay, so remember, it's important today to identify the ideal customer for you. But as I said, you have to be prepared to be the ideal training partner for them. So in summary, I've given you my definition today of what an ideal customer is. It's a business or entity, an individual for whom you do your best work and earn the highest possible reward for its creation and delivery. We talked about the kinds of who, what, why, where, when, how questions to On a piece of paper, clarify what it is you offer them, why they would need you, for which reasons they would need you, where they would need you, etc. We then talked about the three reasons which commonly prevent people from choosing their ideal customer. We then looked at 10 really good reasons to start proactively choosing an ideal customer, 10 really good reasons. And then we gave you two ways or two steps to choose your ideal customer. One is the thinking part identifying problems you can solve, the cost of them, the value of solving them, etc., thinking of your unfair advantage. And then we talked about the four quadrants which you can draw on a piece of paper and putting in companies, industries and entities into those four boxes, companies where you have a think strategy, a company or list of companies where you have a take strategy, a list of companies where you have a teach strategy and a kinds of companies or industries where you have a transfer strategy. And lastly, today, I gave you three kinds of ways to prove if you're right. Talk to people, test your offering and assumptions and training through creating some initial program. Okay, that's a lot of stuff today, I'm sure. In today's episode of the podcast, um, my sincere thanks to you, of course, for tuning in again this week. If it's your first time here today, I'd love to know that you're coming back next thursday thanks for all your support to my loyal listeners and your continued suggestions for the kinds of content to have on the show we'd love you to leave a rating on apple podcasts because this helps us to promote the show and of course to attract the kinds of guests and to understand the kinds of topics which are going to help you on your training business journey you can find the podcast every single thursday fresh episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, Spotify and many other podcast platforms out there. And of course on social media, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook and Instagram. So please check us out and join the conversation. Until next Thursday, have a wonderful training business week. Bye for now.